spread that around everybody and, and just is help not, not the virus. Spread around the information. Spread around the information. I was going to say, Josh, is that the word you want to use? Spread? Uh, Sorry about that. Welcome in. Another uh, another week of the uh, podcast, Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon and David Person. Ah, we are, uh, we're still separated. I'm so sad. I'm so sad. <laughs> You're having separation the, anxiety? I, separation I anxiety? I know, I know how my daughter feels now when I drop her off the daycare someday. So it's, uh, I'm having separation anxiety for David. I don't, uh, normally we're in the same room and, and we haven't been for the last two weeks because, yeah. you know, uh, COVID's, you know, raging again. And so we're, yeah. uh. You know, I guess we're being responsible people. Uh, that's it. This. That's it. Let's let's frame it that way. We're being responsible people. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the pain of being resp- a responsible adult. I All guess. Right. Uh, right. But uh, you know, uh, speaking of uh, you know responsible adults, or I guess irresponsible adults in this case, uh, the the election still rages on. Yeah, <laughs> uh, hmm. and uh, your your president uh, is hmm. turned. Full on fruitcake uh, here, and um, I, I've never seen anything quite like this. Uh, which is, I, I, I guess, kind of sticking to the trend of the uh, of the Trump administration. I don't think anybody in America has seen anything quite like this. Um, you know, we're we're reaching the point pretty quickly. I think where this becomes dangerous, um, and um, you know, I you know I, I do believe that they'll they'll run him out. Uh, you know, essentially like a squatter at this point, uh, at some, you know, at some point very soon. Uh, but, you know, when it comes time for him to go, he's going to go. But I don't know that he's going to adhere to any of the norms. Uh, uh, and I don't think that he's going to follow any of the protocols. And I think it's a real shame that it's come to that because it's pretty clear who won this election. Uh, it's pretty clear that there was no real voter fraud of, of any significant size. Um, and you know, it's a, um, it's a shame that it, it, it has come to this because it is again, uh, about him personally, more the, more so than, than the country, uh, and the people who voted for him, uh, because it, it, it benefits him to keep up this charade of, of, you know, stringing people along. Well, I think, I think you're right on all of that. In fact, I think it was the Associated Press, perhaps, and maybe the New York Times, I think, who called every single secretary of state Mm -hmm. and every every single all 50 secretaries of state. And none of them reported any voter fraud or or if they did report it, it was, as you suggested, minuscule, you know, just Mm -hmm. statistically insignificant. So. Again, this is about a narcissistic president, but I would also mm-hmm. suggest that there's something to the, the theory, Josh, that this is also about uh, a um, a House uh, majority. I'm, I'm sorry, a Senate majority leader mm-hmm. who wants to try to salvage Georgia. So yep. they see this as a they see this kerfuffle as something that. Um, you know, will will perhaps galvanize Georgians on their side of the aisle and get them to uh, in January to vote for um, 
you know, for these Republicans who are running. And of course, it's it's very tight there. And, and, and mm-hmm. I mean, admittedly, you know, and, and one thing I'll say about Mitch McConnell and the thing I do respect about him is he's nakedly, brazenly political. Mm-hmm. And so if I were Mitch McConnell, I'd probably do the same thing. I'd probably yeah. I'd probably do everything I could to try to gin up, you know, uh, agitate the folks there in Georgia to get out and vote. And I think that's part of this. I, I don't disagree. I think, uh, you know, there, there's also the portion of it that says uh, it's not just a, a benefit to them, but there's also the fear there uh, that if they do go about, uh, you know, pulling the rug out from underneath Trump and this charade that he's pulling here, that then he starts attacking them. Um, and, and it goes to this whole other thing where now you've got his voters, his base of morons, uh, running around out there, uh, not voting and, and in some instances actively pulling against you, uh, you know, and, and saying that it's a, it's a charade and it's, you know, and so you, you keep that basket of deplorables and I think maybe basket is too small because basket implies a few people. Uh, but you keep that basket of deplorables uh, uh, placated by telling them that their fantasy that they're living in is real. You know, it's, it's always, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Who knows? Who knows? They could find 16,000 <laughs> extra votes in Georgia. You know, uh, there, there's literally a lawsuit today. <laughs> They're in court today. First of all, and all of these uh, you, people should just go and read. If they want to know the real truth, you should go and read some of the transcripts from the court cases that are currently there. there, there it's such nonsense. Uh, and, and in most of them, the Trump lawyers admit right up front that there's no fraud <laughs> and, uh, because the judge asked them. And there's one case in Pennsylvania. He's like, so are you alleged fraud? No, we're not at this time. No. Uh, and, and so and there's one in Georgia. They're trying to get the votes thrown out, of course, in Fulton and DeKalb counties. Imagine that. Uh, and uh, and the, some of the reasons, one of the reasons why they cite in there is because this one guy in Fulton County didn't receive his absentee ballot. <laughs> that's it's, so that's why they're going to write all the that. votes yeah. because that one guy didn't get it. Uh, but it's it's so absurd, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, God bless Georgia, you know, and, and Stacey Abrams and, and the work yeah. that, you know, Fair Fight did over there. And, and you know, I think that that's going to serve as a model for Alabama uh, in, well, the, in the very so. near future. I sure if, if I was just having this conversation with uh, a North Alabama activist just this week. I really mm-hmm. hope that the Stacey Abrams model is imported to our state. But let, let's go back to this whole DeKalb Fulton County situation. So once again, we have this indisputable example of why the Republican Party absolutely has no chance in hell of attracting a significant number of African-American voters. Every time they have an opportunity Mm-hmm. To do something to advance their party, they always opt for the solution that involves diminishing black people or disenfranchising mm-hmm. black people. And then they have the audacity, the, uh, the unmitigated gall, the just the, the, the colossal stupidity to then say to us, Well, you all don't think for yourselves. Get off the plantation. Hell, y'all are on the plantation. Y'all are the plantation. And every black person 
that's a Republican or a conservative who has the audacity to utter those words, think for yourselves, get off the plantation, they need to stop drinking master's bath water because that's what they're doing. Ooh. They got fired up today. Uh, yeah, right. I just, you know, uh, yeah, just you know hey, listen, man, it happens. I, I understand the frustration. It, it's, uh, you know, what, what often um, really bothers me is how easy, how easy it is uh, for Republicans to immediately go to this. Um, oh, well. You know, that's that's a, that's another one. It's one of those black counties, and you know how they vote over there early and often. You know, and and this this villainization of of the black community as a whole, just because you know, and especially whenever there's a large black turnout in a county. Whoa, what do we got here? You know, and it's just, and it's always that way. And what's more disappointing to me is not so much that they do it because you know that they'll they'll do it at this point. They've proven they'll do pretty much anything. So, but what is what's yeah. more disappointing to me is the fact that so many people go along with it mm-hmm. and believe it and mm-hmm. buy into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what you're seeing now out of a lot of the Trump people is. That it's so easy for them to buy into these conspiracy theories that involve minority groups, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it be Hispanics in Arizona and Texas and Florida, or whether it be black people in Georgia and Pennsylvania and Detroit and Milwaukee. Um, you know, what, no matter no matter where it is, they buy into that because that's what they've been fed, and that's what the Trump administration has been about making making white people and their idiotic beliefs seem tell them telling them it's okay to believe that you don't have to apologize for being a racist. You don't have to apologize for holding these sorts of views. It's okay. You just believe whatever ignorant shit you want to believe, and everybody will be okay with that. Right, right. You know? And then it's your same, right as an American to be stupid. That's what they. That's what the entire Trump administration has meant. Right, and and then at the same time, they 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 say to us, black people, and, and what have you got to lose? Come on, come on down, come on aboard. I mean, it's just the most. It's <laughs> you, you know, they, yeah, yeah, and and literally based on what we've seen with how they have handled COVID-19 and some other things, police shootings and other things, literally what we have to lose is our lives, our very Mm -hmm. lives, you know? So I just, I think it's, you know, this is a, there's a delusion. It's just delusional. It's just delusional. This mindset that we see when it comes to the Republican party and black people, it's just delusional, and I and I and it's astounding to me that more of them don't realize how pathologically delusional it is. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I, it's uh, uh, you know, and I'll say this, and I, you know, and I th- we touched on it just a second ago too with with Stacey Abrams and what she was able to kind of tap into in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think that it's ultimately a losing strategy if you have the right people uh, to lead you out of that. Uh, and to push back against it. And I think we saw a lot of that in Georgia. Um, and, and, and so there was, and it's one of the things I wanted to talk about today, uh, you know, just kind of related to Alabama was, you know, there's been some infighting among Democrats uh, at, at a tell. national level yeah, yeah. Um, about what, you know, what went on and what, what cost them votes. And I, I think a lot of the more uh, centrist Democrats have said, 
that things like uh, defund the police and some of these other things that have, uh, you know, the slogans that were out there really cost them in their races. Um, and, you know, and, and Doug Jones was one of the people that said that he didn't necessarily go in against that, that message because I think that that message works depending on where you are. Uh, but, um, you know, I, where he went in on it was, it's the the structure of how they're funding campaigns and how they're funding, uh, you know, get out the vote efforts and and messaging and that sort of things. And he thinks that they're spending too much money on uh, on cultivating candidates and not necessarily on messaging and and working with people in their specific districts to you know to help them with with the message that they're getting out so they can be sort of buffered, I guess, from a national image of, you know, of whatever they're trying to tie Republicans or, you know, Democrats to whatever the Republicans are trying to tie Democrats to. That's one of the things that I have argued uh, for for a long time is the Democratic Party in Alabama has done a specifically poor job of messaging, of taking these these things on a consistent basis and having a clear message and having uh, you know, if you're the other side is doing something, having an attack for that, uh, for what they're doing, having a response to what's going on and having a voice out there that lets people know, no, this is not what we're saying. This is what we're saying. You don't get to frame what we're saying. We're we're already saying it and people know it. And and I think that's where we've fallen down here. No, uh, yeah, I, I think your point is on, and I think Doug is raising something that is important to discuss. I mean, we know that the Democratic Party in Alabama is never going to be able to message the same way the Democratic Party in California is. There's just mm-hmm. not going to be any compatibility there. Uh, so what that means is there's got to be adjustments made and allowances made for that, and that's not happening. It's not happening effectively I think all of that is is we've got to flesh that out. And we've also got the courage. And I'm glad you said what you just did, Josh, because one of the things that I continue to hammer home when I talk to people is is pretty similar to that, which is we've got to start finding the courage to really articulate our message and not to uh, not feel like we've got to water it down mm-hmm. or, or or be reticent about it, you know? So, mm-hmm. and we've also got to be more, um, I think we've got to be more inclusive, you know, inclusion generally when, when, when people on our side of the aisle talk about inclusion, oftentimes mm-hmm. we're saying, you know, well, we need, you know, we need people to be, create more room for liberals. Okay. And I'm a liberal. I'm very liberal. I'm, I'm about as liberal as you can get and not be a communist. Uh, but, but I'm saying, but, and I'm not exaggerating either, but I'm saying that I think in, in our case in Alabama, what mm-hmm. we need is inclusion that says, you know what? If you're pro-life and you're defining that in the, in the, in the sort of, you know, the traditional way that people tend to define that, we've mm-hmm. got room for you in this party. There's room for you here. You know, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're not with same sex marriage, and, 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 and I am, by the way, personally, I'm for same-sex marriage. But I think our party needs to be a party that makes room for people who are not for same-sex marriage. You know? Well, you yeah, know? and I think, oh, what, yeah, and I agree with that. I, I just think that what we need to do is, is create 
this atmosphere in which um, all of uh, what we're what we're targeting is so uh, and what we're doing and what the policies are that the that, that Democrats are pushing are so beneficial to the average working person that it doesn't matter about all that other stuff. You know, uh, you know, because uh, I think we've seen if the Trump administration has taught us anything. But 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 let me say this. I agree with you. You're right about that. But here's where it becomes challenging. Mm-hmm. There was a conscious decision made to make an exception for Donald Trump. They mm-hmm. don't make that. They're not going to make that exception for Josh Moon, the candidate or somebody else, the candidate. They made that exception for Donald Trump because he appealed to their white privilege into their into their belief in white supremacy. Mm. That's the challenge. I think that's true. For, I think that's, that's true for, for for a number of people. I, but I don't know that that is the overriding thing for a majority that are there. I think what they what they fed into there was uh, patriotism. You know, no matter how misguided it might have been, or how misrepresented it might have been at times, patriotism, money. Uh, you, those two things well, right at the top, and then this well, rebellious sort of thing, this against the grain. I'm not, you know, I'm not your normal guy. You know, I'm not your this this sort of thing here. And but that, that is it, that took on. I, but that is right, white I, privilege. That took on a lot of forms. Yeah, yeah that took that on a is, lot of forms. But that is that actually is white privilege. That's the essence of white privilege. That the rules don't apply to me. Because I'm a white mm-hmm. guy and, 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 and I'm a rich white guy. I, mm-hmm. I agree with you about the money part. I'm not following the patriotism part because oh, Donald no, oh, Trump the, the does American not epitomize. Well, but yeah. I mean, you know, that's a slogan. That's sloganeering. That's 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 a that's a shell game. Donald I'm Trump. You, I think it Donald plays Trump, well, man. Well, I'm not saying it doesn't play well. We saw it played well. What I'm saying mm-hmm. is that Donald Trump himself, when you start to look at what are his values and his actions? He's no damn patriot. Donald Trump is. Oh, I don't doubt. He's not a patriot. But it doesn't matter. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't. You're, you're willing. So the, there, it, it matters in how you 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 present it. It matters in how you go about it. Uh, you know this America first attitude of uh, you know of, of make America great again, and we're going to make you know with the hats that are made in China. You know what I mean? Right, so right, that, right, that, right, That's right, what I'm saying. That right. that sort of oxymoron right there pretty much defines this sort of sort mm-hmm. of deal. But it was that push. No matter how phony that was, you don't have to be phony with it. You could make it real. You know, you could make okay. it and say, listen, you know, I, th- this is what we're we're going to put America first. We're going to put American workers first. You know, we're mm-hmm. going to get out here and we're going to fight for you to have, you know, wage increases. Uh, you know, we're going to fight for this. We're going to, you know, what whatever it is. Uh, but I think if, if you we start, the the target is put on that instead of, you know, constantly being dragged into these fights uh, about, you know, that are framed by Republicans, that are framed by, you know, conservatives or whatever. Stop getting into those fights about this stuff. Stop worrying about it. Make your own message and and push that out, having learned from, you know, from this administration and what we already know. 
uh, and what we know wins votes in places like Georgia, uh, then I think you, we can make a well, make a well, huge difference here. Well, when you say wins votes, though, the question is wins the votes of whom? Again, mm-hmm. we're still talking about we're the the elephant in the room in this conversation is the rural white voter. That's really mm-hmm. who you're talking about. You're talking about the rural white voter or the working class white voter. Yeah, I don't. And, I don't necessarily I'm, think that's true. I think that that when no, I say no, when I, I think uh, it is. There are some in there, no doubt about that. Well, I that, think that we want them. Well, I mean, I think that's that comprises the group that you're talking about. You know, well, we, I would say you know, that we don't have black these, voters as well. Yeah, but you don't need that to attract black voters. The only reason we're talking about this is because because there's this fear that we're never going to win unless we somehow manage to siphon off, you know, some huge number of white voters. And I'm telling mm-hmm. you, as a black man who's lived in America for 57 years, Josh, it ain't happening, baby. It ain't happening. They ain't coming. Not in huge numbers. But they did in Georgia. No, they did not. You saw not, uh, there's not no in way terms Georgia could have got to that without without a huge number of white voters coming coming not, off coming off the stack. Well, I have. Well, let me say this. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have been so quick to say that because I haven't looked at the numbers. But when I mm-hmm. looked at the counties and when I mm-hmm. looked at the areas on the map that were blue, it's a primarily mm-hmm. urban, urban, predominantly black areas. I'm not that's, saying that, that that's untrue. Now, no, listen, that, there there is no doubt that the black voter turned out uh, heavy in, in Georgia and in a lot of other places and is was the difference in, in the election in a lot of places. But getting to that point, I think, took a coalition of voters uh, that included a lot of white voters there. And I think something turned those people from, uh, you know, maybe they weren't hardline conservatives. Maybe they weren't. And, and you're never going to get some of those people. You're never going to get those, those hardline, you know, Trump never. people or things like that. You're never, never, never going to get never. those people. But what I'm saying is, is those people where, where you've got to make your wedge in there is getting in there and getting a message to the people that you can spin away from that group. The people that are that do consider themselves you know, uh, more enlightened thinkers or whoever they may be. And I think that's where you start to pull some people off, off the pile there. And, right. and you're not, you know, you're not going to turn around a, a, a true racist, you know what I mean? With no matter what you say about workers or anything else, yeah. but you can get some people that are, that want to do better, that want to, you know, that are worried about themselves uh, that, and that are worried about them, fam- their families and, and can kind of understand the message. So so we're not really disagreeing about much. I think this is a very nuanced disagreement we're having. What I'm suggesting to you is that when you juxtapose the number or the percentage of white people who are Mm -hmm. who are persuadable, we're talking about persuadables. When you juxtapose that percentage with the rest of the white population in these areas, I'm saying we're not talking about a lot of white people, Josh. You know, but and I'm all for I'm believe me, I'm all for trying to attract the persuadables. I'm all mm-hmm. for that. But what I'm saying is it's never going to be some huge number. And the sense well, that I get from the Democratic Party in this state and around the country is that there is this fear that if we don't get some huge number of white people, that we're never going to win. And I think that's the wrong. I think that's factually wrong. 
I think it's theoretically wrong and it's strategically wrong. Well, I'll say this. I think that one of the biggest count, one of the biggest swaps over in Georgia was uh, Gwinnett County. Uh, and it's a, you know, a suburb of Atlanta and for years has voted, uh, was a, a conservative, you know, pretty conservative stronghold. Uh, you know, and you see, and, and a lot of Atlanta's problems can be traced back to the, uh, to the suburbs around it where, you know, the white people fled and, you know, cut off the bus systems and everything else. And there's a whole, there's a whole, uh, history there. But, uh, you know, it went, it went for Biden. Uh, this time around. And, and I think that you don't, and that's what I'm talking about. And you see that a lot in some of these Alabama suburbs as well. Um, you know, college educated people, uh, you know, college educated white people are, are slowly, you know, are, have slowly been turned in a lot of places. And I think that's what that, those are the people that I'm talking about. And there are a lot of those people. There are a lot of people that you can reach like that. You know, the folks in rural Winston County, you know, where that voted 90% for Trump, even, you know, even though he wants to kill their health care in a county that's been ravaged by meth, uh, mm-hmm. and COVID, uh, you know, that those, those sorts of people are not going to come, but the people in Mountain Brook and Madison County, and, you know, other places like that, I think those people you can grab, uh, you know, with the right messaging and with the right uh, uh, sort of push there. And I think that's what happened in, in Georgia in a lot of places. Well, All right. we, 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 we probably do need to slide out. Um, okay. Unless you okay. Got something. I don't want to cut you off. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say uh, I, I was going to see if I could find it before we had to go on and I'll pass on trying to look it up. But. Uh, I don't know what the, the racial makeup is of Gwinnett County, but I know a whole lot of black people that talk about Gwinnett County who uh, mm-hmm. who are either from Atlanta or live in Atlanta. I suspect the demographic has changed. But uh, mm-hmm. but again, like I said, I think I think our dispute is really very nuanced. I think basically we're saying the same thing. Yeah, probably so. I mean, we're, you know, we're pretty like minded. Pretty simpatico. Pretty simpatico. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's uh, let's slide out uh, when we come back. Our guest is Tara Foster from the NAACP. If I'm not mistaken, the first executive director of Alabama's NAACP, is that correct? She is. I think she is the first. And mm-hmm. and so that would make her not only the first, but the first female. So, yeah, yeah. I think she is the first. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. That's a, we'll, we'll talk to her uh, in just a few minutes. Back after this. All right. Welcome back to Alabama Politics This Week, David Purse and Josh Moon. And we are honored to have with us uh, on uh, the podcast today, the executive director of the NAACP. Now, I think we should we should make note of this. um, And Josh and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, This is the first time that the NAACP has had an executive director. Uh, now, I'm talking about in the state of Alabama. Uh, has had an executive director uh, in its history, to our knowledge. And so we are pleased to welcome Ms. Tara Foster, 
the first ever executive director of the Alabama NAACP. Now, we're, are we right about that, uh, Tara, that you are indeed the first ever? Well, thank you, David and Josh, for having me. And you are correct. I am the first. I am the first executive director for the Alabama State Conference of the NAACP. Wow. And you know, you know, you're doing good work when they make up the job for you. When they create a job <laughs> title for you, you know you're important somewhere. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I think they kind of caught up with following the model uh, of other states. I, I think that's that's the uh, case. But all in all, I tell people um They'll say, well, you're just reinventing the wheel, aren't you? And I was like, no, I'm actually inventing the wheel. We didn't mm. have a wheel here. <laughs> and, uh, and it's a lot. I, I am enjoying it so far. I just took this position, assumed this position back in June. Um, but I've been just basically getting my feet wet and, and doing a lot of listening and, and trying to learn all I can learn to help uh, propel the state conference. Well, well, we we welcome you to the position as well as to the podcast, and and I and before we get into our questions, uh, because I know you you only have a little bit of time you can spend with us today. I, I still have to say, Tara, that I'm so glad that the NAACP had the foresight and the not and the wisdom to hire a woman and not to you know follow some good old boy uh, plan and path. So I, I just I feel I that may not matter to you, but it matters to me. And I'm glad to see that. Oh, it, so. it definitely does. Thank you for that. It does matter. It's, it was very important um, that they do that, even if it wasn't me, um, as long as they had a qualified woman um, to represent the state conference. Mm hmm. On this level. And I think and I think that matters. You know, let, let's linger here for a minute, because I think that really matters symbolically when you look at the role that women have played in the civil rights movement, black women and not just black women, but white women and, and you know, as well have played in the civil rights movement. Um, it just seems to me like that has been an untold story. And and also the other part of the story that's been untold is unfortunately that and God bless, you know, all the great men who led like Dr. King and others, they really did not make much room for women to lead uh, in the civil rights movement, in the civil rights era. I know uh, Mrs. Dorothy Height was like one of the few women who was able to actually sit at the table with these men as they strategize and to be treated as an equal. She was one of the few. So I think it's we're way past time for this sort of thing to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's get into some questions here. First of all, uh, from your perch as the executive director of the NAACP, how did you how do you assess what happened in America a week or so ago when uh, Joe Biden became and Kamala Harris became uh, president, vice president elect and when Doug Jones lost? Wow. Um, well, it was not surprising for me uh, here in Alabama um, as it relates to this presidential election. Um, the nation, in my opinion, in the opinion of others, many others, we're deeply divided. Um, don't get me wrong. Uh, Doug, uh, Joe Biden, he won this election handily. Um, he has over 77 million votes and counting. 
Um, but the elephant in the room is Trump having now around 72 million votes and counting. Um, the way we look at it is that um, the 72 million people are okay with a man who, I'm trying to choose my words carefully, who has lied so much that fact checkers around the country had to begin documenting the lies just to keep up. And and so you have to ask the question, what kinds of people follow this type of person? And how do you reach those people to give them a truthful perspective? Um, how is it that a group of people agreed in supporting uh, the push for former President Barack Obama to release his birth record and college transcripts, yet that same group of people agreed that Donald Trump should not release his birth record or, or his college transcripts, and, and, and they think that it's okay that he even threatened the school if they were to release his transcripts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there's a there's a bigger question out there that you would have so many people even support him as far as paying $750 in federal taxes. How can you get them to see, hey, hey, guys, you, you pay way more than that. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're working poor, working class. You pay way more than he and, and, and he proclaims to be a billionaire. And, and, and yet he gets to pay $750 in federal taxes. And, and some of us, you know, are, are hounded for a thousand dollars, you know, pay it. We have to pay up. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it just begs us to, to question, you know, the mindset of so many people who would support that. Now, on uh, <laughs> as it relates to Doug Jones and 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 Tommy Tuberville here here in our state, guys, over sixty percent of people in Alabama voted for Tommy Tuberville, and and this is a person uh, who's been sued in federal court. He has been accused of defrauding investors, not just from Alabama, but in Arkansas and Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And, and and out of about $2 million, I think that the exact dollar amount was what, like $1.7 million. In that situation, you have a an Alabama teacher, you have parents that were saving for their kids' education. They lost everything, you know, due to Tommy Tuberville's incompetence and and the incompetence of a couple of his buddies. How can that be all right? How can that be all right? And you have, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I think I'm with you. Uh, um, uh, It's a mind boggling. uh, It's a mind boggling exercise and in futility for a lot of people, you know, like myself and I know David as well. And, uh, you know, in, in trying to understand, 
uh, and wrap your head around uh, you know the, the mind of the Alabama voter. But it, from from the NAACP's uh, perspective on things now in this state, I know that there was um, uh, there was a lot of excitement a few years ago, uh, 2017, uh, over Doug Jones' win uh, and the role that that so many black voters in this state played uh, in, in that election uh, and what the turnout was. Uh, do you feel like y'all have been able to uh, to grow from from that 2017 election and kind of sustain those gains, or or did some of the things that happened with the with the Alabama Democratic Party over the last year or so did that hurt any of those efforts, or wh- where do you feel like y'all are right? Now? I think that what happened with the Democratic Party hurt this election um, because this cycle there were uh, over 200,000 more people voting for Doug Jones. Um, I think what happened in 2017 was who he was running against. And anyone in the kitchen sink uh, could probably have beat uh, Roy Moore back in 2017. Um, I I think it just had a lot to do with the two candidates and um, but we, but Doug Jones, he he received um, over two hundred thousand more votes. So the ground game was there; it was just not enough. And and I have one critique of the campaign, the Doug Jones campaign. I don't think they courted HBCUs enough. Alabama has a slew. Can, can I get a witness? <laughs> can I get a witness? I've been saying this. Josh has heard me preaching this. He's probably sick of this sermon. I've been preaching this sermon to Josh and anybody else who will listen for weeks. Preach it, sister. You are on point. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Uh, He he did not court the HBCUs. Um, I verbalized that to a couple of people on his campaign. You know, the HBCU, that voting block, that... A tremendous force uh, would have bode well for him, I believe. Um, But it hurts me. 39% of the people, you know, here in Alabama, they voted for him. Um, To me, he was a proven candidate. He was willing to work across the aisle. And we say we want bipartisanship. So, I mean, 67% of the time he voted with Shelby. So, and I think that was out of about 900 votes. So you would think that people, you know, truly would want bipartisanship. They want the parties to work together. But at the same time, you have to get a machine behind you to help get you over. Um, The black vote, yeah. Us women, yes. Um, but look at these HBCUs and how they're suffering and, and, and not having the type of endowments that other schools have um, that he, you know, could have had that conversation with them about. I think that was uh, a missed opportunity. Well, you know, he did he did pass that bill, um, uh, sponsored that bill that uh, provided funding for HBCUs that they wouldn't have had. So I, I, I mean, I give him credit for that, Tara, but, but again, going back to your, your overarching point, uh, the HBCUs, not just the campuses and the students themselves, but the communities that surround them, 
you know, that was all alumni and, and all of the people who live in these areas. And we know that HBCUs attract alumni and, and friends and supporters. You know, all of all of that should have been high priority, as well as targeting the sororities, the divine nine, the sororities and the fraternities, as well as targeting the Eastern stars and the Masons. None of that, none of the, 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 the nucleus of the black community, in my opinion, was completely missed by Doug Jones yes. and, and or, or, or at the very least one step show. <laughs> and you know what? I'd have been okay with that. One step show or twenties. That should have been part of the plan. You know, but but he but he didn't do that. And I know some some have said, well, you know, because of COVID nineteen and the impact of COVID, the campuses, you know, the campus populations are sort of decentralized and 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 diminished. And that's true, but you still have a community around these campuses. And you still have students who were in, and I know at, here in North Alabama, Oakwood and A&M and Drake State, there's still students going to school on the campuses. So I just think it was a, a missed opportunity. And Tara, I'm just going to say, and, and my, my buddy Josh does not fall in this category, but I'm going to say that by and large, what the Alabama Democratic Party, what the National Democratic Party suffers from is is what Public Enemy talked about a long time ago, and that was the fear of a black planet. Yes, I agree. The browning of America, but if they look yeah. at it, we're already the global majority. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and and you cannot stop the inevitable. You can't stop what's going to happen, and so therefore we need to find a common ground. Um, to work together because we're here. We're here. Mm -hmm. And collectively, I believe we're becoming stronger. I believe we're realizing our economic power, uh, the, the trillions that we pump into this economy annually. And so for our state and national leaders to not realize the significance of that is a problem in itself. Mm -hmm. yeah, I was going to ask about that and, uh, and, and maybe not just with, with Tommy Tuberville or, you know, uh, the, in, in some of the, the federal uh, seats, but also in, in state, in the late state legislature and locals as well. What is there, is there any sort of a concerted effort in anywhere but from uh, from Republicans or state leaders uh, to kind of tap into uh, into the black community and into those uh, into the not just the votes, but just the economics of it that you just talked about? Is there anybody there that's willing to work uh, with NAACP or any other organization um, over the last several years? I mean, you. Uh, surely they've seen numbers and they know the growth and, and what's what's taking place. Uh, is, is there anybody that's willing to do that? Well, I know our minority leader, Anthony Daniels, um, is, is very active and excited, always excited about um, working with the NAACP, um, mm -hmm. Representative Thomas Jackson as well. Um, there is a Republican um, 
Debbie Wood, I don't know where she stands right now, Mm -hmm. but in the past, there was chatter that she may be a reasonable person to work with. So I, I think what we have to do is take this moment, take this moment in time and um, and, and move forward with, with what we all know uh, to be right. And, and that is um, creating a better Alabama. Mm-hmm. Everyone looks at Alabama. We are the cradle, the birthplace of the civil rights movement. And everyone looks to Alabama and for Alabama to be, I hate to use the word behind, but just the bottom in everything negative mm-hmm. is troubling. We should be so far advanced. This is 2020 and we've mm-hmm. been fighting this fight since the 50s. Before before the fifties, but but indeed in the fifties and sixties when it hit a when it hit a fever pitch and and you know African Americans began to really stand up and say no more. Mm-hmm. I think we should just take this opportunity, and if we say we're going to work together, we have to truly work together. It, it, the, you can't represent um, an entire state, but but really represent just a certain portion, just your constituents and, and everyone else be dang. It's, it's not going to work. That's right. Well, Tara, I know that, uh, that you've got a bounce. You've got, uh, some other pressing issues to engage in today. I want to thank you for joining Josh and me for, uh, this episode of the, uh, uh, of Alabama politics this week. And I want to commend you again for your historic appointment. And as we have talked today, you have only uh, uh, really just encouraged me uh, as an African-American. You have encouraged me to uh, really believe that uh, the Alabama, uh, the Alabama conference of the NAACP is going to be making a difference here. So thank you for joining us and we appreciate you. And, yeah, and you, you guys and, and, and follow our follow our Alabama NAACP Facebook page and, and our Instagram page um, and, and Twitter. We're constantly posting information that um, affects this state, uh, our people in this state, everyone. Um, okay. Just just a, a plethora of information uh, is shared almost daily. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. Thank you so much, Tara. We really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Thank you for having me. All right. All right. That was good, uh, good conversation. Foster, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was good. It, uh, yeah. You know, I, the uh, groups, uh, you know, like the NAACP here and, and others, um, you know, are going to be are going to be vitally important uh, going forward. Um, mm. You know, like we, we keep bringing up Georgia, uh, but, you know, Georgia's a lot like Alabama. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and it was really a lot like Alabama 10 years or so ago uh, mm-hmm. before they got started over there uh, with Stacey Abrams and some of those folks and, uh, and and kind of moving it forward. And you see what a difference that can make. Um, you see where how, how quickly things can change. Um, and it wasn't that long ago in this state that Democrats were in control. So, um, you know, uh, we, we got hope. 
You got hope. You just got to absolutely press it forward with with good people and, and good groups like uh, the NAACP and Tara and uh, some others. So yeah, it's a, I think we're headed in that direction. Absolutely, I think so too. I think so too. Mm-hmm. So I guess we're going to take a break now, right? And then when we come back, you're going to uh, you're going to introduce our, our right wing nut of the week. Yeah, I guess it's a, it's a good one. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a it's a wing nut, some might say. <laughs> <laughs> a wing nut. Uh, yeah. All right. Never heard that. All right. All right. Never heard I'm... that about uh about our about our right wing nut of the week. You've never heard him called wing nut. I don't think I've heard him called that, but uh, it's because he looks fits. like a wing nut. But it fits. Yeah. I mean, based on just things he said. Oh, because he looks like a wing nut. I hadn't heard he that. Looks like a wing nut. You know, you know what a wing nut looks like with a big. Yeah. I have to think about that. Let me take a picture. Me... Uh, uh, Google up an image and you'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to All see. Right. Yeah. Match them up side by side. All right. I think, I think you'll see it. <laughs> All right. We'll be back. All right, welcome back in uh, Alabama politics this week. You know we should really record some of the stuff that happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's—I uh, mean, we could sell that. Um, then that always the way it goes. Hey, before uh, before we move on, I, I, I do want to say uh, real quickly, uh, the AFL CIO uh, is still on board with us here. <laughs> All right, they didn't, didn't play after a week. <laughs> yeah, uh, so uh, you know, breaking records. Uh, but no, it's uh, right. listen. We 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 do appreciate them, and and if yes. um, you know, and, and their mission uh, is is a mission of. Of goodness uh, here, really, uh, and it's one that I have always been behind and supported for a long time, uh, and that's of, of labor unions uh, and and the good that labor unions have done. Um, I mean, you look around the state of Alabama, and there have been you know, we were a, a huge union place for a long time before people lost their minds and decided that you know oh no we should let the CEOs figure this out, uh, and and so now we've gone the other direction. Uh, where you know people are, are trying to come here because they can screw workers out of out of wages and things, and so uh, because they don't have union protections in a lot of places, and, and they're trying to AFL CIO is trying to to build that back up, trying to get unions uh, uh, back in the game uh, here in a major way, and and I think that that is a mission um, that can only benefit the working people of this state. That's all Absolutely they care right. about are your interests. That's all they care about are, are the working people that go to a job every day and, and toil and, and put in the, in the hours and the effort and they don't get the wages that they should. Uh, you know, unions for, for decades were your way to, to a better life. And I mean, you look at what mm-hmm. things used to be in the, in the sixties and seventies, well, like 50, sixties and seventies. And when, you know, unions were popular and, uh, you know, and were uh, really the kind of the backbone of the country. And it made the middle class. Uh, you know, you could have you could have a parent go off to work every day and, uh, you know, come home and you get to go on vacation with your family. And you didn't work. You didn't fall asleep worrying about bills. You, you slept easy at night. And that's that's kind of, you know, what they're that's the mission of AFL-CIO. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about worker protection and just and we're not even talking about I know that there may be some some examples out there that that push the envelope. But I mean, what Mm -hmm. we're really talking about is just basic quality of life kinds of things, you know, the kinds of things that 
that I think most Americans expect to be able to enjoy uh, without a lot of hand wringing and guilt. You know, there's no reason why people shouldn't have decent benefits. There's no reason why a person shouldn't be able to, after putting in, you know, 48 to 50 hard weeks of work, there's no reason why he shouldn't be able to have a he or she to have a you know a couple of weeks of paid vacation. I mean, we're just talking about basic fundamental stuff. And yeah. we know and this is the one thing we do know. We know that the people with means who own businesses, they expect to be able to enjoy those benefits. They mm-hmm. expect to be able to have those quality of life benefits. So the fact that that some of them are averse, not all of them, thank God, because there's some great companies out there with some great CEOs who care about their workers. But there are far, far too often, it seems, there are CEOs and management people who feel like, you know, uh, the, the, the people that are, that are the foundation of the company shouldn't be able to enjoy the basic quality of life standards that they do. And that's where I think unions have made a difference. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a shame that we're we're living now in in a place where, you know, people are having to work three or four jobs, you know, just to Mm -hmm. make just to get the bills paid. And, uh, you know, and that's that's not the way it should be uh, ever. Uh, And and you shouldn't have, you know, a college degree and, um, you know, and and experience and, and be working that way. And I think, listen, just. Just Google up, you know, unions and, and your local union shops and, and see what's out there. And, you know, if you need some more information, AFLCO website will, will help you out with that as well. And uh, so, listen, we're, we're happy to have them on board because it's, it, you know, it's easy to do. It's easy to do a, a read for a place that you believe in. And so yeah. I could go I could go on and on and on with this. Uh, so I'll, 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 you know, I'll stop talking about them. But it's it really I would be talking about them even if they weren't sponsored, probably. So, yeah. um, but listen, I, well, I, want, I do want to get to one other. Uh, the big story probably should be a bigger story than what's taking place with the attempted coup at the White House uh, here. And that is um, the resurgence. Uh, I guess we could call it a resurgence of covid um, hmm. Over the last few weeks, uh, I know in this state we reported 20, uh, 2,070 new cases on Tuesday, I believe. Uh, that's uh, We're averaging 1,551 uh, per day now over the last two weeks. Uh, a 65% increase over last month. Um, uh, nearly 17,000 new cases over the last two weeks. And I be- uh, Eddie Burkhalter with the uh, Alabama Political Reporter uh, had reported that there were, we were down to 12% ICU beds, uh, last week. So, um, you know, uh, I think we were all told that this was going to go away on November the 4th, the day after the election, mm-hmm. which was an Oof. idiotic thing for anybody to say, much less the president Oof. of the United Just States. Just like magic. Yeah. And it is not. Matter of fact, it's getting worse. And, and it turns out that the things that Biden said that were, you know, that, that Trump seized upon during some of those debates that we were going to have a dark winter. Uh, mm-hmm. That seems to be heading in that direction. We cannot continue the way we are going uh, at this point. I know that there is a vaccine allegedly that's that's coming uh, here that um, uh, that that can help uh, or that will help, but it's going to take some time to roll out and some time to get you know to get it widespread enough uh, that it that it truly uh, you know tamps this thing down. But as of right now, 
we are headed for a bad, bad November, December, uh, and January. Um, and well, that, you can't run out of beds at the hospital. That can't happen. No. Well, you know, uh, I was struck by something I saw uh, on television this morning. Um, and that is that in El Paso, Texas, Apparently, the 51% of the Mm -hmm. hospital beds that are filled in El Paso, Texas, are being filled by people with COVID. Um, That's absolutely stunning. And if that doesn't indicate to people, you know, how far reaching, uh, what a rampage this, this pandemic is on, I don't know what to say. Uh, and, and I think again, this is, this to me is the, the travesty and the more, and the, and the moral failing of the Trump administration. You know, this is not about, you know, you know, some people said, well, he didn't bring the virus here. Okay. All right. Well, you know, there, there's some ways to debate that even, but okay, let's, this this for a moment, let's give you that. All right. He didn't bring the virus here. But what in the hell has he done to stem the spread of the virus? No national plan, you know, no real, um, you know, often fighting openly with the scientists and the doctors who are not making outrageous recommendations. I mean, just simple, basic things that have worked in other places. And this man that we have in the White House you know, hasn't cared about people enough to even model the kind of behavior that would stem the tide of this virus. It is a moral failing and a travesty. It is. Uh, it is. It is all of that. And, and, and you know, what when we go back in, in future generations, I think, and, and look at what happened during this, because we're going to lose a lot of people. We're going to lose mm-hmm. a lot of people. It may be a half a million people that, that die. Uh, from this uh, over the course of of a year, uh, we may lose a half a million people in a year. Mm-hmm. And and when we go back and look at this, and we see what the president of the United States did during this period of time, and how many people were willing to go along with him on this and not stand up out of pure political fear, and and say what he's saying is absolutely wrong, what he is doing is wrong. What he is, uh, you know, the people he is attacking and Dr. Fauci and other people that he has, you know, the, the other day he was going to he's going to fire Fauci, you know, and uh, what he has done here is, is risk lives. And, and actually he's killed some people. You know, there are there, you know, people love to use the phrase there's blood on his hands. There is literally blood on his hands in this. OK, because it's, yeah, not, I agree. I it's, agree. it's not that he brought the virus here. It's not that anybody was going to stop this from happening. But what where you get into this with him is. Is in the words that he said, and how uh, how less than serious he took it for so long, and throwing cold water on anybody that wanted to do anything that might affect the the economy negatively, uh, you know, instead of protecting people, and and no, and all the while, clearly from what he told Bob Woodward on those tapes, clearly knowing the severity of this thing, yeah, clearly yeah. understanding how deadly it was to people. I mean, no. he said so. If you're the wrong person, Bob, this thing is like a death sentence. That's yep, what he, he said. said he said it. Tape. He sure did. And so, sure and, so did. And, and instead of doing something to to uh, to stem this thing, 
He's mm-hmm. done the opposite and just thrown water on it over and over yeah. again and tried to use it as a political tool to, to say that these Democrats who were taking this thing seriously, like sleepy Joe Biden in his basement over right. here, that, that, that they were somehow lesser men than he mm-hmm. was uh, mm-hmm. because he refused to wear a mask. and His mask right. was small, not like that huge mask of Joe Biden's. Well, I mean, right. what what in the hell, you know, are you talking about? And and so we're to the point now where Alabama's doc, you know, the, the guy, Scott Harris, the guy that's leading this thing for us mm-hmm. here in the state has to wear a bulletproof vest when he goes to certain places. Well, that's, said, that said, is... Well, I mean, yes, that now that, you know, Trump certainly has fed the atmosphere that leads to that. But I mean, let's also put the blame where it where it where it belongs. If there are actually people out there mm-hmm. who believe that simply by virtue of advocating for the public health of the state, that a person deserves to be shot and killed. There's something wrong with that person beyond even their allegiance to Donald Trump. There's just a there's a patent evil there that and sickness there that I think mm-hmm. is just I don't even know what else to say about that. I oh, want to go. There, there's I, no doubt about that. There's no doubt about yeah. that. But yeah, but that man is the president of the United States, the leader of the oh, free world. Yeah, that, that's what why he I started, says matters. Yeah, that's why I started off saying that. Yeah. I mean, absolutely, no, saying, he's, he's cultivated that, the atmosphere. Though. Yeah, it's, and it's not just that though. It's not just that he's that guy. He also has this base of people that that other politicians fear. So therefore, when he says this, mm-hmm. they feel like they have to go along with it. Uh, mm-hmm. Just like you see in, in the Georgia Senate races, like we talked about earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in those Georgia Senate races, you, you have him saying these nonsensical things about you know election fraud that everybody knows is untrue. But they're going along no. with that BS because right. his base, it, you know, it'll harm them in the long run. And so they've so, done the same thing with covid for these political yeah. purposes right here. I don't blame Trump for their cowardice. I blame them for their cowardice. Uh, I blame fair. I blame Trump for being the jerk that he is doing mm-hmm. what he's done. But I blame them for not having the balls to stand up and say, you know what? Yeah, uh, we're not going to go along with this. Uh, and some of them occasionally act like they've got some balls, but most <laughs> of them don't. I want to go back, yeah. though, to this whole thing of Trump didn't let it in. Well, I think there's room to argue that he did. And I'm going to tell you why. First of all, we know that they dismantled the system by which we would have had a direct line into what was happening in China, understanding specifically, you know, how viruses and uh, and how health there would affect us here. They Mm -hmm. dismantled that. They shut that down. And that was a part of their whole anything that Obama has done. We don't want anything to do with. So Mm -hmm. that's problem number one, as far as I'm concerned uh, with that. And I know they they, a lot of these uh, conservatives like to say, well, you know, yeah, but he stopped there. All of the uh, all of the people coming in from China, China, all the immigrants from China, he stopped that. Well, you know, of course, we know that that's not true. We know that, mm-hmm. in fact, people still came in from China. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, thousands you know, of people came from China. Yeah. Still. So, uh, I, you know, just, yeah. I don't give them, I, I don't even I'm, give them a full pass on that. I, and I don't I, I the only thing I don't know 
is mm-hmm. because it did spread so quickly to so many other places across mm-hmm. the world. Uh, I don't know that anyone could have stopped it from coming here. You know, well, no matter what, no matter what we put in place, uh, you know, I know a lot of places tried to tried to do something. Right. Uh, and, and I don't I don't know how effective it would have ever been because of it being in so many places all over the world. Uh, and, over that's, the time. And, that's, think, and that's probably true, Josh. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to debate you on that. That's probably true. But we mm-hmm. do have to, I think, still acknowledge the fact that it didn't help us that the very methodologies or the very structure that have been put in place to try to alert us to what mm-hmm. was going on, they removed. Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. I mean, they, they, I mean, look, it was a, look, let me just say this. Let me just put it like this. Have you, have you gone to that Google website and then, and then, and scheduled your free test at the, in the parking lot of a Walmart? Yeah. I have not, Josh. I have you know not why? done that. Because none of those things that the president promised back in March exist. That's why. So <laughs> right. That, that, right. That's, that's right. all part of right. this. It was right. just right. this one lie after another, after another, after another. Yeah. And there was never a plan. He hadn't attended a, a meeting of the coronavirus pandemic in mm-hmm. months. Mm-hmm. You know, we found out today mm-hmm. on, on Thursday uh, you know, mm-hmm. in months he hadn't done this. Yeah. Uh, Pence has barely been to any of them as well because mm-hmm. it was more important for them to go and campaign and do whatever else. Mm-hmm. Uh, play golf. Mean, as, you know, play golf. Yeah. As th- he managed to make it to the golf course. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. here, here we are. And look, all I'm saying, I, I say all of that to say this. Take it serious. Put on a mask. Uh, if you don't have to go to places, don't go to places. If you want to go to a restaurant, I understand that. Try to sit outside. Try to sit outside. Try to go to places where you're separated, where they where they take this seriously, and they separate you out, you know, in a meaningful distance away from each other. Uh, you know, if you got to go to the grocery store, you got to go to Walmart or wherever you got to go. You know, wear the mask. You know, use a sanitizer. Be as safe as you can be, and try to help everybody get over this. Act like okay? a freaking grown up. Just act like a freaking grown up. Yeah, and you know, and I know the people, our audience here, we we don't have a problem with that. You know, we're not going to have an issue, but it's just, uh, it, it's it, you know, spread that around everybody, and and just is help not the virus. Spread around the information. <laughs> spread around the information. I was going to say, Josh, is <laughs> so, that the word you yeah. want to use? Spread. Uh, uh, <laughs> sorry about that. All right, so yeah, I, I, I want to get to our uh, our right wing nut of the week. Okay. Week. Uh, because it's a guy that probably should have been right wing of the week a couple of different times. Uh, easily, but, easily could have been uh, easily uh, yeah. because it is uh, one and only our newest senator, Tommy Tuberville. Uh, and, and if you thought, already, already he's yeah. he's senator elect. He's he made the list already. Wow. Well, it's uh, he, if you thought he was gonna tone it down or that somehow uh, you know, the stupid things that he says were gonna were gonna stop happening. Uh, because he's been elected and maybe he could leave some of the idiocy behind. Well, I've mm. got bad, bad news for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alabama Daily News, uh, is, which is run by Todd Stacy, who was uh, worked communications for Martha Roby for several years. Um, he got a uh, got an interview with with Tuberville. I want to say it was uh, probably Monday of this week. Uh, it doesn't specifically say in here what day it was, but it was definitely early this week. Uh, and. It is, oh, I mean, it is basically 
uh, the chef's kiss of idiocy. Um, I, let me just read uh, some portion of this because uh, 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 Todd rightfully uh, starts at, uh, asks him about what he's going to do now that it appears that President Trump is not going to be reelected. Since so much, and, and by so much I mean the entirety of Tuberville's campaign for Senate was based upon the fact that he was going to go to the Senate and help Donald Trump and, and implement Donald Trump's agenda. I think that was his so, only that was his only uh, talking point, basically, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, did he really say anything it, else? I know not much, and then he went into a bunker uh, and and didn't yeah. say anything at all. Um, and so Tuberville begins this portion of the interview by basically saying that he doesn't trust that the election is over, uh, that it, it could still be Donald Trump. And so <laughs> I'm going to try to read this and get through it without, without laughing out loud. Uh, just uh, like just um, like a just like a just like an Alabama, a conservative Alabama Republican to swim against <laughs> the tide of uh, the tide that clearly is moving through the rest of the GOP, which is Donald needs to give it up. Donald yeah, needs to well, give it up. Not Tommy. Uh, so, uh, and you can read this at uh, aldailynews.com. You can read the full interview. But uh, so let me let me start down, down here after he goes through some rambles about why the, the election you know may not be over. Uh, so instead of waiting, this is Tommy Tuberville speaking. So instead of waiting like what should have happened, the media just jumped the gun. And of course, they gave Arizona to Biden last week, and now the president looks like he's got a chance to win that state after the election. So, you know, the media has got to stand down on all this because they're creating so much havoc. I remember in 2000, Al Gore was president, United States president-elect for 30 days, 30 days. And after 30 days, it got to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court says, no, George Bush is going to be the president. Hmm. (laughs) Wow, 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 wow. That is not at all what happened. Uh, That's third grade, third grade revisionism. (laughs) Oh, actually, that's an insult to third graders. I'm sorry. Yeah, it really preschool it really revisionism. Is. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's uh, now if if Joe Biden gets elected, obviously we've got to do what's best for the country. And you know, there's no doubt. Of course, I'll follow the lead of McConnell in terms of how we have the Senate and how we set up our schedules and all that. But there's a lot of things we got to get done, and one of them is these elections. We can. <laughs> one of them is these elections. Uh, he says. In some form of English, we cannot allow this country to go through what we're going through again. I mean, we're an advanced country. We're sitting here a week after the election and we don't know. We have no clue. And that's wrong. Alabama, within three hours of closing the polls down, had a winner in every race. Let me explain something. Okay. Break it down. Everybody who doesn't know. Break it down, Joe. We certified our elections on Wednesday of this week. That's Mm -hmm. when we certified it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have any winners until Wednesday of this week, eight days after that. And that is because up until Tuesday night of this week, a full week after the election, after election day, we were still counting ballots in the state of Alabama. It's just that the margins were such that nobody gave a damn about Alabama. And so the media calls on all of these races, including Tommy Tuberville's on election night, were basically accepted by everybody. And we all moved on. That's what actually happened. And this dude going to the U.S. Senate doesn't seem to understand that. Yeah. So I was I was, uh, you know, as I was listening to you, Josh, I was thinking about the fact that Alabama's population 
compared to other states is so small in many cases. I mean, I think we're talking about uh, last I, last time I looked at it, I want to say it was maybe six million people, if that, in our whole state. So, you know, the the whole county, the, the premise that because Alabama was able to get, you know, and of course you just debunked that. But I'm just saying, even if what you had just said wasn't true, the whole idea that Alabama could somehow accomplish, you know, uh, because Alabama could accomplish something that every other state in the union ought to be able to do it. You know, you look at New York, California, some of these more populous states, that's ridiculous. Arizona, that's ridiculous. You know, they've got, they've got cities that are the size of our state. So that's just well, population-wise. That's just ridiculous. If you think that's ridiculous, then hold on to your hat. <laughs> <laughs> because... Because uh, Todd Stacy also asked Mr. Tuberville or Senator Tuber, Senator Elect Tuberville mm-hmm. uh, about his um, his race and the big national picture of of what the election tells us about the country. And here's Tommy Tuberville's answer to this verbatim. Well, it's it's a little concerning to me that just a, a citizen this time last week, I look at it and I see what country I grew up in and what it's meant and the direction that we're going. And it's concerning to me that a guy can run for president of the United States and have an opportunity to win when he leans more to a socialist type government. You know, one payer system in health care, raising taxes 20 percent when the other half of the country is basically voting for freedom. Let us control our own lives. Stay out of our life. And that's concerning to me that we're to the point now where we've got almost half the country voting for something that this country wasn't built on. Very concerning. And you know, as I tell people, my dad fought 76 years ago in Europe to free Europe of socialism. Today, you look at this election. We have half this country that made some kind of movement. Now they might not believe in it 100%, but they made some kind of movement towards socialism. So we're fighting it right here on our own soil. We've got to decide, you know, over the years which direction we're going and that part's concerning to me. Hmm. Huh. So, you know, unfortunately, he knows that he didn't, that his dad didn't actually fight socialism. Do you think he knows that? No, I don't. And I, and I don't think that probably the vast majority of people in our state probably are of the same opinion as his father, <laughs> you know, I, and, and, and I don't think they even make a connection between, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, TRICARE, and socialism. Social Security, which has social in the name, by the way, and socialism. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, the, 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 the IQ, the civics IQ of our nation is at a deplorable state. And, and that's not an indictment of Republicans and conservatives. That's just people across the board. I think no. the civics IQ is so low that people don't understand some of these common sense kinds of things. Well, I think maybe it's uh, the fact that, you know, what, what bothers me most about this is the people that his father actually was fighting um, uh, are the same people that the Republican Party today is coddling. And that's not. That's right. Um, that's right. And, you know, and that's all of this. Is the reason why we have made Tommy Tuberville this week's and probably several weeks. Uh, he, he will be the right wing note of the week for several weeks in the future uh, <laughs> at, the, at the rate he is going. And I, I can't honestly, I cannot wrap my head around the majority of this state electing this moron over Doug Jones. I just can't. I can't do it. Uh, yeah. But here we are. Here we here are. Here we are. 
All right, we got to we got to slide out of here for for another week. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for us. Um, you know, uh, thanks to uh, to Tara Foster of the NAACP for coming on with us. Uh, thanks to Chip for cleaning this up and making it sound Chip, somewhat presentable. Chip. Uh, and uh, and thanks to y'all for listening. Uh, get your friends on board. Subscribe where you can, and leave us a review whenever you get a chance. Uh, until next week, see y'all then. Peace.